Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father, and our Lord, and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. In uh, Mark chapter 9, there's a wonderful story about Jesus that also appears in both the Gospels of Matthew and Luke, so it's clearly a very important story in the life of Jesus. As you all know, it's called the Transfiguration. Now, essentially, what happens is that Jesus had just told his disciples that he had to go to Jerusalem to die. He was fully aware of exactly what faced him. He knew that he would die a horrific, humiliating, painful death. Now, we need to remember that even though Jesus was God in the flesh, he was also very, very human, just like us. He also faced temptation in the same way that we do. He felt hunger the way we feel hunger. The stripes that he received from the Roman soldiers' whip and the nails that were driven into his hands and feet hurt as much as they would have hurt us. Jesus did not look forward to going to the cross, but he knew that in order to do it, he had to first endure it. And he also knew that this adversity, this walking to the cross and dying, was going to be difficult for those who followed him, his disciples. And so after telling them that he had to go to Jerusalem and die, he took the three disciples, kind of that inner core, Peter, James, and John, up to a high mountain, just the four of them. And what Mark writes, you find on the back of your worship folder, it's under the Holy Gospel. This is the story. It says, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, And led them up in a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Wouldn't you like to know what they were talking about? Every time I read that, I think, I wonder what that conversation was like. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved son, listen to him. Do you remember where you heard that before in the life of Jesus? Was that his baptism, remember? And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. I might point out that's also the very first time Jesus told them when they could talk about him. Now, when I read this story, I've got all kinds of questions. You already heard a few of them. I mean, what did Moses and Elijah and Jesus have to talk about? I mean, that's always kind of bothered me in a way. I guess someday I'll ask that in heaven. But there's another question I always ask. It's this. For whose benefit did the transfiguration occur? Was it strictly for Jesus? Or was it for the benefit of Peter, James, and John... Or could it possibly be that the transfiguration was for us, for you and me? Well, the answer is, yeah, of course. (laughs) It's for all of us. I mean, Jesus needed this transfiguration experience as he prepared for the difficult road that he was facing. 
Peter, James, and John needed it too because they needed to get a glimpse of who Jesus really is. And today we need the truths that this story teaches us to help us live as faithful Christ followers, as faithful disciples, even as we too face adversity, tough times in our lives. Now, I'm not kidding anyone when I tell you that we know for certain that we're all going to face adversity at some time in the future. I mean, no matter how good things might be in our life right now, in our business, in our career, in our families, there are going to be times ahead when you and I are going to face some difficult challenges. I mean, no matter how good uh, your marriage might be at this moment, there's going to be times that you're going to feel like you've jumped off the rails when you're off-road. There are going to be rough patches to endure. And no matter how things might be going for you spiritually right now, no matter how close you might feel to God right now, there will probably still be some times in your life, in the future, when His presence is not quite as intuitive as now, when you struggle more with sin than maybe right now, and you struggle with this will to obey to do what you know you ought to do to reflect His glory. There are going to be times ahead, I can almost guarantee, that when you're doing the right thing, it's going to hurt to do it. It's a fact of life. Every last one of us, man, woman, and child, are going to face times of adversity. Now, some of you, I I don't know, I, I can't read into your lives, but some of you, might actually be able to see that adversity coming down the road towards you right now. For others, that threat of trouble may be difficult to see. Either way, we all need to know how do we prepare for hard times. Now, just like they send members of the armed forces to boot camp to prepare for combat, and that's why we send our baseball players and other people to spring training to prepare for a season's competition, We need to learn to get away before things get too tough and to get God's perspective on the situation and to get his instructions one more time for our lives. Now, today, again, from where you sit, maybe you can see an approaching storm. Uh, Maybe the driving wind is already starting to swirl around you. And so I would say it's really a good time for you to prepare for a rough patch. It's time to prepare for life's difficult decisions. And I believe that the story of the transfiguration of Jesus shows us how. And there are, there are some very simple little principles here to follow, but they are, they are, they are more powerful than you can imagine. In fact, when I, I wrote this message, I was almost embarrassed with the simplicity of the three things I was going to share with you today. But the more I thought about them, I thought, man, there's more power in this than you imagine. So here's what you need to do. You need to prepare for your time alone. And the way that you're going to do this is, first of all, get alone with God. Get alone with God. See, Jesus went up on this high mountain, just himself, his three closest friends, to spend time alone in the presence of God. Now, you don't need to answer this out loud, but just think about, when was the last time that you got alone with God. Just you and God. You were in his presence. Now, Luke's gospel said that they went up to the mountain to pray. 
Again, when was the last time you got alone with God just to pray? Now, I don't know how you are about this, but I am going to share one of my shortcomings with you this morning. Whenever I face adversity, my first inclination is to pray less and not more. I don't know if that surprises you or not, but that's my first inclination. Now, I'm not quite sure why I do this. I can't really psychoanalyze myself, but maybe subconsciously I'm thinking that maybe God's mad at me or he wouldn't be putting me through this mess. Or maybe I'm thinking that I'm only getting what I deserve. Or maybe in my own pride or arrogance, I think this is a no-brainer. I can handle this myself regardless at the sight of a storm, my very first inclination, my sinfulness is to pray less, not more. And needless to say, that inclination is wrong. Now, I will also tell you, unless you think that that's still the way it is, I'm going to tell you, it is from time to time. But I have learned in my years to remind myself that when adversity, when difficult times rear its ugly head, my first reaction needs to be to step away, get alone with God, And talk to him about it. What I've learned to say, I hope that you've learned to say, you know, God, this is a tough decision and I really don't want to make it. Or give me strength to do the right thing. Or I'm struggling with the will to obey. I'm struggling to have the strength to do the right thing. Or, Lord, I'm tempted to take the easy way out. Give me strength to do the right thing. See, the very first defense in facing tough times, is to get away from the daily grind of life and get alone with God. Now, I don't know how long that needs to be. Maybe some of you need to get away for a week. Maybe some of you need to take a month off on top of some hill to get along with God. Maybe it's just for a weekend. Maybe it's just an afternoon. Or, you know, even like John Wesley's mother and her 18 kids, she'd take her chair and sit it in the middle of the kitchen and lift her apron up over, their, over her head, and the kids knew this was mom's time to be alone with God. How long you take, I don't know. But you probably need to get away. Now, how long should you get away and be with God? Well, here's the answer. Until you see what the disciples saw. A glimpse of God. That's how long you need to be with it until you get a glimpse of God. Now, the Bible says that they went up to the mountain, and there he was transfigured before them. His whole appearance changed. You know, from being just an ordinary-looking Jewish man, his clothes became dazzling white, as one version says, whiter than anyone in the world could possibly bleach them. That's white. That's white on white. I mean, the disciples got a brief glimpse, if you will, of what who had, who Jesus really is, they saw that he was much more than just a teacher. He was much more than a healer. All of a sudden, Jesus actually possessed the radiance of the Almighty God. And standing there with him were the two key prophets. The law and the prophets, if you will. Here stands Elijah and Moses, who come from the far reaches of eternity into Jesus' presence to have a summit, a gathering. 
And here the disciples, man, can you imagine, it's got a glimpse of what Jesus was really like. And in the coming days, guess what? They were going to need to hang on to that picture. Now today, what we'd do, we'd take up our, we'd, we'd, all, decide, we'd, take, we'd take selfies up on the Mount of Transfiguration. Come on, Jesus, could you do that one more time? That's what we'd be doing. And so we could always kind of look at that to remember where we were and who was all there. But they were going to need that glimpse of who he was when they saw Jesus get arrested. As they watched him being viciously get beaten in a public forum. When they saw him being stripped and mocked and nailed to a cross. They were going to need to cling to that glimpse of that transfiguration as they began to struggle with their own fears, their own future, and their own failures. Now, I also believe that this transfiguration was done for Jesus' sake, too. I think there's a sense in which this transfiguration experience was there to strengthen him as he prepared to face that very lonely march to the cross. He needed to get alone into God's presence and get a glimpse one more time of the glory of God. Now, again, as you and I prepare for whatever faces us, we need to take time to get alone uh, and get a glimpse of his glory. Now, what do I mean by a glimpse? I, I put three things up there. One of them is just to meditate on his presence. You know, folks, sometimes we forget this, but you need to remember that he's with you. He's not bailed out on you. I mean, even in, in your worst times when you say, where is God? He's there. That's his promise. Hebrews 13, 5 says, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Now, what does that word never mean in the original Greek language? What do you think? It means never. <laughs> There's no, there's no alternate meaning to that word. Never, never will I leave you. Uh, Matthew 28, 20, <clears throat> after he gave the Great Commission, he said, And surely, or lo, I am always with you to the very end of the age. So how long? To the end of the age. So, you know, the, 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 crowds, the clouds crack, the horns blow, the angels come, he's there. And as you get along with God, remember that he has promised that you will never, ever face Anything on your own. Now, the Bessons, I'm just going to pick on them just for a moment because I know you've been through some difficult times in the last two weeks. Now, there are others of you that I've known have been through difficult times also since we've been here. But guess what? I hope you know and I hope you understand and I'm sure you do that what you were facing in the last two weeks, he was there. You know that from the prayers that were prayed and the prayers that were answered. You need to meditate on the presence, on his presence in your life. But also meditate on his power. Psalm 89 says something about his arm is extended with power. His hand is strong. His right hand is exalted. See, when you're feeling weak and helpless. Reminds me of a sermon title I used one time. Helpless and hopeless, just where God wants us. You've got to remember that God is not weak. God is not helpless. He is Omnipotent, that's the word that I learned in fifth and sixth grade from Mr. Schmee. Omnipotent. Omni, meaning all and potent, he said strong, like a good cup of coffee. But God is stronger than the strongest thing that Starbucks makes. God is all-powerful. And he has the wherewithal to do whatever he feels needs to be done. I mean, meditate on his power in your life. And then meditate on his purpose in your life. Now, the adversity you face is not meaningless. Whatever problems you face, 
is, is not just, no, nuts, that was, that was too bad, let's scoop that out of the way. Now, Jesus didn't just face the cross simply because events somehow got spun out of control. There was a reason for his suffering, and guess what? There's always a reason for your suffering as well. God is doing work in your life. And the storms you face are just a necessary chapter in your life's volume. Peter elsewhere said, Though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief and all kinds of trials, these have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. See, at the onset of your storm, get along with God. Get a glimpse of His presence. Meditate on that presence. Meditate on that power and meditate on His purpose at work in your life. Simply get along with God. Second, listen to Him. After you open your heart, when you're in His presence, listen to it. You know, how many prayers do you think you've ever prayed in your life that when you said amen, you just walked away and didn't bother to sit there for a while to see what He had to say? When was the last time you ever opened your scriptures, did your daily reading, and when you were done, okay, I'm going to read a chapter, the end of the chapter, boom, I'm done, I'm out of here. And you didn't sit there and wait to hear what He actually might have to say to you. I'll admit it. I've done it way too many times. Way too many. See, after you open your heart, pour out before him, tell him your woes, you need to get to the point where you need to just plain simple stop talking. Start listening. So that you can get his perspective on your situation. Now, how's that going to happen? Well, I know that Hebrews says in many and various ways God spoke of old to his people by the prophets, but it says in these last days he speaks to us by his son. I mean, you've got a whole book of God speaking to you. He also speaks to you, I believe, through godly friends who also know the wisdom of God. And sometimes God may even speak to you out loud. He may do that. Don't shut off that possibility. See, when Peter got a glimpse of God's glory, did you catch what he said? He said, Rabbi, teacher, it is good to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Now, I love what Luke says about that comment in his gospel. It says he didn't know what he was talking about. See, Peter, as was his custom, had opened his mouth and inserted two sandals. Uh, He was always a little bit ahead of God. He probably thought, you know something, worshiping Jesus on a mountain is a whole lot more enjoyable than going to Jerusalem to watch him die. Let's stay up here forever. Now, nearly 30 years ago, I was ordained into the ministry. And I asked my son to sing a song at my ordination. And I said, uh, if you write a new song, I just don't want some Lenten or Adventy kind of tune. I want something with a little bit of boogie-woogie. I want, I, I want, I want this to be a rocking good song. And, and Eric wrote the song, and uh, his wife Cheryl put it to music, and he sang it at my ordination. And it's really a good song. I mean, maybe, God willing, when you have a pastor some year, someday, 
Did I say year? <laughs> Someday. Um, we'll get Eric to come out in the last week. We'll have him sing that song as a reminder. But what that song says was, it's good to be on the mountain, but don't forget that the work is done in the valleys. And that was my son's way of reminding his father that this is really a neat day when you get ordained. This is a really a cool day when you actually become a pastor. And there are a lot of wonderful days, a lot of wonderful experience that gets wrapped up in all of these years of ministry. And as much as we like to stand and sing and rejoice in songs and celebrate and have parties and all of this, there's still work to be done in the valleys. Now, Peter had a point here. There's no doubt about it. I mean, have you ever been on a retreat of some kind? You know, one of those kinds. It is so much fun that you just wish it would never end. Uh, you wish it last forever. You know, the phone's not ringing. There's no interruptions. You know, uh, the McGraths have farmed out all of their kids. There's nobody around to disturb them. Uh, nobody's bickering with each other. It's about as close to heaven on earth as you can possibly get. But guess what? It doesn't end. It can't, it can't last. Why? Because we are not called to pursue a state of perpetual, uh, I'm going to make up a word I think here, retreatedness. I don't know if there is such a word. But we're not called to this state of permanent retreatedness. We're called to live in the day-in, day-out grind of the real world. Now, Peter's idea sounded good. But guess what? He did not have God's perspective. He wasn't listening so God had to get his attention. He said, then a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and a voice from, came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to it. Matthew's account of this said, when the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. Now, why were they terrified? Well, i got to be honest with you. If I was up on the mountain with Jesus and suddenly Moses and Elijah came, I might have fainted on the spot. <laughs> I wouldn't even thought about building tents up there. But let me suggest just a couple of reasons. I think hearing the voice of God audibly might have been pretty overwhelming. I also think that the words that God spoke to them on the mountain helped them finally come to realize what Jesus had been saying was true, that he was about to go to Jerusalem and meet his death. And as this realization of this sunk in, they were overcome with fear. So now, right after God told Peter, James, and John to listen to Jesus, what was the very next thing Jesus said to them? Well, Matthew records two things. is that Jesus came and he touched them. And now listen, catch what he said. Get up. Don't be afraid. Did you get that? Isn't that interesting? Get up. Don't be afraid. See, when we face adversity, we have a tendency to try to hide or, or become overwhelmed with fear. I mean, Jesus tells his disciples, and he tells us, get up. Don't be afraid. You know, isn't it amazing how simple some of the stuff that God tells us to do and we don't do it? I mean, get up. Don't be afraid. I remember when Elijah, you know, after the prophets of Baal, he ran away, and he thought he was the last prophet in the world. Uh, God sent him by a broken bedding with a raven and everything, and he said he fell asleep. You know, I preach a whole sermon on this called A Snack and a Nap. I mean, you know, Jesus says sometimes, you guys are so wrapped up in the, in the busyness of the world that you feel so sad about yourself. Some of you, what you need most of all is a snack and a nap. 
Did you ever have a kid at home that was just downright cranky? Now, don't be thinking about anybody, but you all got them. We had them. We had two of them like that. The best thing for them was give them a little bit of a snack and a nap. And then they kind of came out the other side seeming a little bit less toxic. Get up. Don't be afraid. See, when I take the time to listen to God, when you do, you have a chance to filter out all of the excuses, all of the escape routes that you might have wanted to take, and you have to listen to that still, small voice, that little, gentle word of encouragement that says, get up, don't be afraid, you can do this, I'll be with you. So get along with God, open your heart to Him, and then open your ears and listen. And he's going to tell you something. He's going to tell you, don't be afraid. Well, there's a third thing, and that's wait on God. Verse 9 says, as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Now, if you've read your scriptures, you know that Jesus has said this often before, but this is the last time in the Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, that Jesus uses what seminarians call the silence motif. Uh, This time, Jesus suggests that the command to be silent is no longer permanent. He says, you can talk to this, talk about this when? After the resurrection. Now, what I want you to notice is that Jesus reminds us, reminds the disciples, there will be a resurrection. I'm going to go and I'm going to die, but guess what? You can tell them after the resurrection. He's saying, yeah, it's true, I am going to face adversity in Jerusalem. I'm going there, I'm going to be killed. And yes, it's true, it's not the end of the story. There will be a resurrection, I will be raised from the dead. Wait until then. Now, as you face whatever you're going to face, same is true for you. The story does not end with the storm. The story does not end with defeat. It ends with victory. You may have to face a few trials and tribulations, but on the other side of every storm is always kind of a new day. On the other side of every adversity, there is a resurrection with your name on it. See, in preparing for adversity, ready yourself. Ready yourself to wait it out until victory actually comes. Wait on God. Wait on the resurrection. Now, I'm not being a doomsday prophet when I say that adversity is just around the corner in some way for every last one of us. I mean, it's a fact of life. I mean, the rain falls on both the just and the unjust. But if we're prepared, guess what? The battle has already been won. How do we prepare? Well, let me say it one more time. Get alone with God until you get the glimpse of his glory. Until you're confident in his presence, in his power, and his purpose in your life. Get alone with God and listen to him. Until you get a clear perspective on what is happening to you. Until you hear his encouraging words. Get up. Don't be afraid. And then get alone to God, listen to God, and wait on God. Wait out the storm. There will be a new day. My grandparents who raised me just made me think of this. Um, When I was two or three years old, they had a tornado that completely destroyed their farm. Everything but the corn crib. And when they went out to 
survey the damage of this horrendous tornado that blew my grandparents, you know, 100 yards, 50 yards off. They had a player piano. And they opened up the player piano, and inside was a scroll. You know those old scrolls in the player piano? The name of the song was, Now the Storm is Over. Isn't that interesting? There are storms, but there's always a time when it's done. There will always be a new day. There will always be a new resurrection. See, in the transfiguration of Christ, we get a glimpse of Jesus the Christ in his power and his glory, and that power is available to you no matter what problems you face in this life. May God assure us each of that in his name. Amen.